Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Well, always a privilege to be able to share the Word of God. Appreciate Tawny reading that. Um, a passage that's a, a great sort of reorienting passage for us in a lot of ways. You know, I'm a sort of an old school dispensationalist in a lot of ways. And uh, you know, that means that for me, it's happy birthday today. You know, the day of Pentecost is we of see is the birth of the church, the birthday of the church. And, uh, you know, there's birthdays that you're glad to see come because it means that the last year's over. Uh, for me, I remember my 59th year, my 60th birthday. Man, I just looked so forward to my 60th birthday. I was kind of like, I just want this 59th year to be over. Between my wife and I, we had four surgeries that year. And it was just crazy. And um, so I just, when, when I turned 60, I mean, I, I wasn't depressed about it at all. I was like, yes, 59 was bad. And you know, for the church, if you think this is the birthday of the church, and for the church, you know, our nine, 1991st year wasn't all that great either. It was kind of a, a rough year for us. But here we are uh, in a new one. In all seriousness, uh, it was a rough year. It's been a rough year this past year. Humanly speaking, we see the hardship of it. We see the difficulty of it. The fact is, if this is the day that the Lord has made, it's also the week that the Lord has made. It's also the month that the Lord has made. And it's also the year that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. But it's been rough. It's been a hard season. Not just this little immediate season of the last few months as we've gone going through some transition, but, but the whole year, all the way back, I remember walking into staff meeting last, the first part of March, uh, maybe it was even the end of April, with a piece of paper that I had prepared that I thought was an utter waste of time. But somebody told me, you know, you really ought to put a plan in place. And so it was a piece of paper that sort of said, in the highly unlikely event, that we have to close the church and that we have to transition to online, you should have some things in place. And so I, I put on place, I went into staff meeting with it, I said, you know, we did this probably, you know, just, just in case. Two weeks later, the doors were closed. And uh, amazing, uh, we did not see that coming in that way. So it's been a rough year, it's been a hard year, it's been a painful year in a lot of ways. But I want to make something really clear. Rough, hard, and painful do not equate to bad. Surgery is rough, hard, and painful, but it's not bad. 
And for us, we went through some rough, hard, and painful things, but the feeling of it, which are very real and must be addressed and must be dealt with, do not determine the quality of it. They don't determine the good or bad. That's not determined by how it feels in that moment. The fact of the matter is some of the roughest, hardest, most painful things that we go through are in the process of conforming us to the image of Christ, and they're very good. It's the question that a lot of people ask, you know, why do we call it Good Friday? Because good and bad are not in and of themselves issues or questions of whether something is rough or hard or painful. And I feel like in some ways we spent a lot of this last year looking at our feet. You know how you look at your feet when you're just uncomfortable, when you, when you just don't want to address, you know, and you just kind of, like if you're with a group of people and you know you're not really, you know, you just kind of maybe just kind of looking at your feet. And, and I feel like we looked at our feet a lot this past year because let's face it, a lot of times, even among the closest of friends and family members, there were times when we were in an environment where we knew we were not on the same page. There were so many things over the course of this last year, governmental things, social things, you know, we mask, do we not mask, do we, do we uh, socially distance, do we not, should things be open, should things not be open, all kinds of questions like that, and, and a lot of times you knew I'm in the room with people that I care about, care about we are not on the same page about this. And I don't want to touch it. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to tackle it. And so we spend a lot of time just kind of looking at our feet and, and ignoring often the elephant in the room. Maybe sometimes we should have ignored the elephant in the room when we didn't. But we lost our sense of routine. We lost our sense of flow. We lost the sense of kind of how we normally live our life. In some ways, that may actually be a good thing. Some of that we're going to get back. Some of that we'll never see the same way again. I mean, think about 9-11. And think about the things that change that have never changed back. We don't go to the gate to meet our friends that are flying in from somewhere anymore. Uh, we take off our shoes and our belt. That's why I always fly in elastic waist pants and flip-flops. Makes it easy. Um, look like a really old man going through there, but that's okay. Makes it quick and security. But... Um, you know, that's the, that's the idea, is those things change, and, and some things will go back to where they were, and some things will not. And at this point, we don't know what will and what won't. But you know, I hear some people say, we, we don't know who we are. And I've got to push back on that one. Because the fact is, there's an implication in that statement that we don't know who we are, in the way that it's used, there's an implication that that's something we choose as a church. And the fact is, that is not something we choose as a church. Now, absolutely, we choose some, um, you know, we choose some stylistic things. We, we choose some emphases that we may have as a particular local church. But what the church is, who the church is, is not something that we decide. That is something that Christ, that the Scripture has proclaimed to us. More fundamentally, the church in its truest sense is what God says it is, not what each one of us independently would say that we think it ought to be. That said, maybe we're not sure where we are all the time, but there's a lot of difference in not knowing who you are and not knowing where you are. If you've been to Disney World, you know, places like that, you know those big signs that have the red dot, you are here? 
I just thought it'd be fun to go move those dots around, you know, so slip in there one night and just kind of change them all, you know. So we, we, had, a, we had a thing we called value drivers here, and, and one of our value drivers was locate where you are. And the idea was if you know where you are, you can get wherever you need to be, but if you don't know where you are, you can't get anywhere, really. And so uh, it was kind of a locate where you are, and I, I think as a church, there are times, as an individual, there are times when we need to stop and we need to locate where we are. We need to see where, where are we right now. But that's much different than saying who we are. Because we are who God has called us to be. We are who God says that we are. Now we're going to look at a passage. I've told you before that there are certain passages that I consider sort of reorienting, re- refocusing passages. Um, and when it comes to the church and it comes to what we need to be about as a church, when it comes to who we are fundamentally as a church, not stylistically, not in terms of those, but in terms of the real fundamentals of who we are as a church, I just have to go back to Acts chapter 2 over and over and over again. We're going to look mainly at verse 42. I asked Tawny to read verses 42 to 47, so we kind of get the whole context, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. We're certainly not going to do an exhaustive look at this passage, but we do want to take a look over the back fence. But before we do, there's something I want us to keep in mind, and especially when we study any type of scripture that is a story. Anytime we read an account, whether it's an Old Testament account or a New Testament account, it's narrative. It's telling us a story of something that happened. It's recounting what went on. We have to be careful and discern the difference between principles that that passage is teaching us and the specific practices that are taking place. Because the practices don't always apply to us. It's not always a one-to-one exchange in the practice that is taking place. It's not always a a one-to-one exchange in the behavior of what's going on. But the principles do apply. But every practice of the first century church is not something that we're to be doing or we're to be about. Every model that is out there is not a mandate for us. We have to discern, is this a principle that we glean or is this actual practice that we're to replicate? We're responsible, secondly, for our local church. We are not responsible for how our church down the street does their thing. We are not responsible for how the big mega church that we read about in the, in the news and those churches are how they're doing their thing. We are responsible for First Evangelical Church and for how God calls us to be stewards of the gifts that he's given to us, of the abilities he's given to us, of the resources he's given to us within this local church. Now, that does not mean that we're not involved in bigger things. It doesn't mean we're not involved in things way beyond our own walls. We influence things that are bigger than us, and we are influenced by things that are bigger than us. We support things that are certainly much bigger than us. We do that with missions and and things all the time. The church, capital C, universal church, uh, is certainly bigger than us. This local church, first evangelical church, is bigger than any one of us. And we have to keep those things in mind as we approach an account of something going on within the church. But at the end of the day, We do need to answer the question of, are we stewards and are we being good stewards of what God has called us to in regard to the local body that he has placed us in? Now, tonight's an important meeting here. You know that. It's a congregational meeting where we're going to elect a couple of representatives from the congregation at large for the pastoral search committee. 
Um, we're going to elect some people for some significant roles at a very, very significant season in the life of our church. If I dare use the word that has been so overused, an unprecedented season in the life of our church. Um, you know, we've never been here before. We have never, ever been coming out of something like we are coming out of over the past 14 months and been at a point where we are in terms of looking for a pastor and just looking at ourselves. But as we go to Acts chapter 2, um, it's a good backdrop for us for tonight. It's a good backdrop to kind of, let's get back to not missing what are the non-negotiables. What is it that we are absolutely to be about? And Tony already read the passage, so I'm not going to read the whole passage again. But I do want us to look at some specific practices of these folks and see what the transferable principles are coming out of that. First of all was their commitment to the Word of God. It seems extremely basic, but it's extremely important. So the Holy Spirit's come. The church is growing and maturing. Many are trusting Jesus and being saved. And it says that how that was working itself out and what was going on during that time is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, is every gathering of people a church? John Calvin says, wherever you see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. To be Christian involves a devotion to the Word of God. To be the church involves an unapologetic proclamation of the Word of God. Being part of the body of Christ involves recognizing that there's a higher authority than our opinion or our logic or our reason. That being part of the body of Christ is a devotion to persevering and continuing. That's what that word devoted means. It means perseverance and continuous diligence. That these believers had, they was, they were devoted to the word of God and to the apostles' teaching. Now, think about what the apostles' teaching was at that time. They didn't have a Bible like we have. They couldn't you know, pick up the, the book every day and just kind of read their morning uh, Bible reading and so forth. They had the Old Testament, though most of them would not have had a copy of it. They had the Old Testament, and they had the more verbally communicated words of Jesus that were communicated by the apostles that were sort of re-given re to them from Jesus through the mouth of the apostles. But the core of all of that was this teaching that was precious and guiding and instructive to the people of God. It's interesting, you know, Timothy probably wasn't even born yet when this happened. Paul wasn't on the scene yet as far as Christianity was concerned. But it's interesting, they had an intuitive sense of what Paul would later pin to Timothy. When he told them that the scripture was profitable and useful, Andy mentioned in his prayer for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, they understood if we're going to make it, if we're going to survive, if we're going to be able to live righteously in a very hostile world, if we are going to be able to, to stand before, we think we have anti-Christian things going on in our culture. We think we've got leaders that are against our faith. We don't know anything about that compared to what they were experiencing and compared to what their world was. 
And they understood intuitively that the word of God is what would guide them and lead them and correct them and train them along this process of walking through the world in which they live. To be Christian involves following God's word. To be the church involves graciously but unapologetically proclaiming God's word no matter how unpopular it becomes in the culture. And trust me, it will be unpopular in the culture. Secondly, they were committed to very deep fellowship with one another. It says they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship. The word fellowship just means participation or sharing, basically. It wasn't just a word used in the church or Christianity. And that article in front of it intensifies the meaning. It implies a powerful commitment to a particular group of people, a devotion that exceeded any kind of normal relationship. But you know, in a lot of our circles, the word fellowship has become a a pretty cheap word. We kind of throw fellowship out for any gathering of people, but even any gathering of Christians. You know, we're going to we're going to go to the ball game and have some fellowship, or we're going to go to the park and have some fellowship, or we're going to have dinner at the church and have some fellowship, or we're going to meet after the meeting tonight and, and have some ice cream and cookies and, and fellowship. The fact of the matter is, there's no guarantee that that will be fellowship. Because fellowship is not merely a gathering of Christians. The fact is, fellowship may occur, during those things. Those things may, in fact, be fellowshipping events, but the fact that it's occurring and the fact that it's occurring among Christians, be careful, even the fact that it's occurring in the church building doesn't automatically make it fellowship. It becomes fellowship when we invite Christ into it. It becomes fellowship, an association of people becomes a fellowship of people when Christ comes into it. An event becomes a fellowship when Christ comes into it. It may be anywhere. It may be anything. I can't tell you how many times I've been in something that I didn't really intend, and you've you've had the same experience, something we don't intend a a real spiritual time to come out of necessarily. We're not planning on getting together to discuss some theological point, but it just happens. You know what? That meeting just became fellowship. That meeting just became something unique as Christians are gathering together around the person of Christ. And I tell you, as I was writing this this week, I was convicted about something. And I was thinking about, you know, I love to, we love to entertain, we love to have people over, we love to do things, love to go out with people. But I wonder how often do we invite Christians without inviting Christ? It's really easy to do that. It's easy to invite Christians and, and not invite Christ to the gathering. And meet together, and and really Jesus is nowhere in the midst of it for all practical purposes, when he really should be the guest of honor, no matter what we are doing. Thirdly, it says they were devoted, that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this one's a little bit trickier because there's really no strong consensus 
about exactly what this means and about exactly what the breaking of bread is. There's a lot of different views on it. Some believe that it's just merely talking about, not merely, but is talking about the Lord's table and the communion. Some believe that it was a love feast that they often celebrated prior to communion that Paul actually wound up rebuking the Corinthians about and their abuse of it a little bit later. Um, taking a clue from verse 40, 44 to 46, I think it had more to do with a communal practice born out of necessity. Look at what this passage says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What's going on here? Well, Christians were not exactly the economic powerhouse of the day. They were potentially a lot of often excluded from commerce. Everything was taken from them. There wasn't a social welfare system that was undergirding them. They were likely excluded if there was anything like that. But the principle is they spent time together. They invested in each other. They did what they had to do sacrificially to be sure that everyone was taken care of. They brought Christ into the relationship. Perhaps the breaking of bread was a dedication to being present at the celebration of the Lord's table. Perhaps it was a, a lifestyle of selflessness that said, if I eat, you eat. Not because the government somehow manages or manipulates that and tells me that I have to do that or tells me how to do that, but because I love you, because I care about you, and because we are together in the bond of Christ. I'm going to see to it that you're taken care of too. If I have any resources, and maybe today I have bread and tomorrow you have bread, well, we're going to be sure that we both eat both days. But that was done out of a heart of love for one another, not out of some mandated legislation put to it. Either way, to be the church, to be intensely dedicated, is to be together, to share together, to care together. Fourthly, they were committed to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. There's so many books written on prayer. A great one, our own Cricket Keith wrote a beautiful Bible study on prayer, on bended knee, it's called. And she didn't pay me to make that plug, by the way. That was, uh, I really liked it. Um, it's an inexhaustible topic. I can remember uh, when I was doing church plant for a while, uh, I would, our office was in one place and the church meeting venue was in another and I drove pretty much exactly the same time every week between the two and right before I would get to the venue where the church meeting was, um, a program would come on the radio, would start coming onto the radio and it was, I don't know anything about the program really or anything because I, I got out pretty much as soon as the introduction was over, but it was the Jimmy Morgan Evangelistic Association. Some of you may be familiar with that, I don't know, but um, he was teaching on prayer. And I think when I stopped doing that, he was on message 264 on prayer. I don't know how long it ultimately went, but uh, it's an inexhaustible topic. And there's books and books and books but if you want a primer on prayer, if you want one verse, if somebody says, what can you tell me about prayer? Parents, if you want to teach your children something about prayer, 
Teach your grandchildren something about prayer. If you want a one verse, and I think we may come back and talk about this in a couple of weeks. It's Ephesians 6.18. I'm going to read it to you, but I want to read it from the NIV because I think it's a very hearty um, translation. Uh, And I say hearty, not meaning hearty like a nice hearty bowl of beef stew, but I mean hearty meaning resonating with the heart. It's a very resonating way of putting this. He says, if you want to know how to pray, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You want a five-point sermon on prayer, there you go. If you want to teach somebody the basic fundamentals of prayer, pray in the Spirit. Pray on all occasions. Pray broadly. Pray all kinds of prayers and requests. Persevere in prayer. Be alert. Always keep on praying. Intercede for one another. Praying for all the saints. To be the church. To be the church, what we are about. The non-negotiable. Not talking style and form. That's up for discussion. That can change with the seasons. Not style or form, the non-negotiables of the church of Jesus Christ that we are devoted to the word of God, that we are devoted to fellowship, that we are devoted to the breaking of bread, that we are devoted to prayer. For the first century church, this again, not a promise, the first century church was added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Folks, that's who we are. That's who we are as a church. Where we are in that process, we've got to figure that out. Where we are in the process, that's a constant evaluation. It's always going on. Exactly where, you know, after 14 months, like the last 14 months, I'm a little confused about that. I am not confused about who we are. I am not confused about what the church of Jesus Christ is. I'm a little confused about where we are in the process. I'm a little confused about who's actually here and who's not. It's like every week, uh, somebody else comes up and says, this is my first time back. I'm like, great. I'm glad to see you. Every day, I think of somebody, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so. So I'm not exactly sure who all we are anymore. But brothers and sisters, I know what we are. And I know what we're to be about. Because that's what God tells us. And that's something we can glean from the scriptures. We probably need to do a deep dive into kind of understanding where we are coming out of, of this past year. We probably need to take the time to, to look at it and say, where are we healthy? Where, where are we? What's, what's, what's missing? What's good? What's not? We need to take some time probably to do that. It just seems wise to do that. But as we think about who we are as a church and what we are as a church, it raises a question. It raises the question of how do we as a local fellowship as the group of people here at part as First of Anne, how do we as a local fellowship affirm our corporate conviction in these things? How do we come together and say, this is what we together, I think you know, we've lost a lot the sense of creeds and credos. But um, a year or so ago, really back in January of 2020, uh, you know, we started a series of critical initiatives. And one of the committees in that was, started to work on a covenant, a uh, membership covenant that really reflects 
uh, our Constitution and what our Constitution says about membership, but more important, reflects biblically what the Scripture says about being the church. Now, we can argue all day about you know, whether the Bible specifically talks about corporate membership in a church. We can go back and forth on that. But, but membership is part of a, a local body. And so looking at those things, and then in the fall, they kind of picked it back up after a, a pause for the COVID era. Um, last fall, they picked it back up. And, and if the session is affirmed, a membership covenant and a membership confession, something that we can do together. What a lot of people don't realize is because we've, we've, we've kind of been meeting here and there, but uh, a number of folks have joined the church over the course of the last year, some new to the church, some folks who were, uh, have been here for a while but had just never taken that formal step of membership. We're going to show you those folks. We're going to uh, let you see who they are and show you names and faces so you can get to know them. Again, some of them you'll know already. Some of them will be new. But um, what we want to begin to do is as we welcome new members into our body, uh, we want to begin to affirm together just the basics of who we are as a church, just the basics of what we really agreed to uh, when all of us joined the church and, and looked at the membership requirements and membership expectations. And on the screen behind me, uh, they're going to put up this membership confession. And we're going to look at this. And then um, after that, we're going to uh, see who our new members are since last January, since January of a year ago, who's joined kind of during the, the season of, of COVID and all. And then together as a congregation, we want to affirm this. Let me read this to you. And then after that, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to introduce our new members to you. Having been led by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we do now confess as one body in Christ and as members of First Evangelical Church, we will strive to live as disciples of Jesus in this present age. We will consistently celebrate together through joyful worship. We will generously contribute our time, resources, gifts, and abilities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly in both word and deed. And we will pursue peace and unity in the church, encouraging and exhorting one another with the truth of God's word, to the glory of God, and for the edification of his people. Father, thank you that you have called us together as this local manifestation of the universal body of Christ. Thank you that we can come together regularly and we can meet both in person and virtually as needed to worship to, um, to pray, to encourage, to exhort, and to fellowship together. And Father, we pray that we will never take for granted the fact that we have been given brothers and sisters to be with us in times of stress and difficulty and who we can be with when they go through those times and encourage and aid them. Lord, we don't know from day to day when one of us will have critical needs. And Father, as part of a body, we can see uh, that we are not alone in that. And Father, we're grateful for it. We're grateful that Jesus Christ is our bridegroom and calls us to be his bride. And that you have called to get us together as a church. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.